1 to 14. John 14, 1 to 14. Please stand as I read from the word of God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Allow me to quickly pray one more time. Father, we come to you now and we come before your word. And we need you to help us to understand and to take heed of your word. Grant us comfort with your word for our troubled hearts. Grant us now the the ability and the minds and the hearts to understand what you have to say to us this morning. Help us, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our passage today from John 14, 1 to 14, is perhaps a well-known passage to many of us. This morning, we approach an imperative from Christ to not let your hearts be troubled, and rather to trust in God, to believe in God, to believe in Christ, a command that applies to all Christians, all of you who have trusted in Christ. So my outline will be based on at least three reasons for why our hearts should not be troubled this morning. And here they are. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God for number one, Jesus will come again. Verses one to four. Let not your hearts be troubled for number two, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Number three, do not let your hearts be troubled for Jesus works for us and allows us to do great works. Verses 12 to 14. Just some context in this section of John, we can see Christ's private ministry with his disciples along with his road and preparation leading up to the cross. He was going to the cross. And not not original to me is the understanding that chapters 13 to 17 are known as Jesus' farewell discourse And that there is a looming shadow over him in his ministry, knowing that his imminent death was near. Yet on this side of the cross, we know that death was only the first part, and his resurrection and ascension to the Father would also come as well. Jesus mentions back in chapter 13 that he was going to leave soon, 
chapter 13, 1 talks about how Jesus would eventually depart out of this world and to the Father. Jesus was going to the cross. And he would eventually go and ascend back to the Father himself. And then at the end of chapter 13, Jesus again mentions how he would be going and how no one could follow him. He was leaving. He would leave his disciples. No one but Christ could accomplish this eternal plan of salvation. No one but Christ could go to the cross. And no one but Christ could secure the eternal destiny of his people, of God's people. So this is just some quick context leading up to our passage. And this brings us to our first point. Do not let your hearts be troubled. For number one, Jesus will come again. Verses one to four. Up to this point in chapter 14, the disciples have walked with Christ quite a bit, haven't they? They have seen Jesus turn water to wine, for example, feed the 5,000, restore the sight of the blind, and raise a dead man back to life. They have heard his divine teaching. They have witnessed his perfect character. This was the Messiah. And perhaps in the disciples' mind, this would be the man to deliver them from all their political ailments between Israel and the Gentile world. The Messiah has come. Perhaps they understood that Christ was indeed the Messiah, but the way in which he would save his people and deliver his people was still unfolding. Christ was the suffering Messiah who had to die on the cross for the sins of the world. So Christ tells his disciples who expected him to perhaps never leave, who expected him to become perhaps a great earthly king in this world, that he must now leave. So imagine with me, imagine the confusion, the disappointment, and the restlessness that would creep into the hearts of these disciples. What do you mean you're leaving? You are the promised Messiah. How could you leave us now at this time? You have to stay here. What will we do? How could the disciples continue on in this world without Christ? Yet as verse 4 indicates, the disciples should have known where Christ was going. And that was to the Father, as shown earlier on. Yet consider what Christ says here in verse 1. He commands them and he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. With these words from Christ, we can assume the disciples' hearts were troubled. They were troubled. When looking, when looking this word up, it could have this meaning of being confused or disturbed, unsettled, being in a state of turmoil, afraid, and having a spirit of dread. The disciples were troubled and Christ knew it. Yet Christ didn't want them to be troubled. Rather, he tells them to believe in God and to believe in him, to trust in him. It's imperative that they would not lose themselves to a troubled heart, but to trust and rest in God, in Christ. And the rest of our passage this morning gives reasons for why they should not be troubled in their heart. Reasons to calm them, reasons for them to trust And the first reason is because Jesus will indeed come again. Jesus states in verse 2 that his father's house has many rooms, most likely referring to heaven or to the eternal kingdom to come, where God dwells, our eternal home. It has many rooms. Not only are there many rooms, but Jesus mentions how he is leaving them to go and prepare a place for them. Christ is not leaving them for no reason, but it's for the disciples' benefit that he was leaving to secure and prepare their eternal home with God. Indeed, as verse 2 shows, Christ is no liar. He's telling the truth. 
We can believe in him. And so he does. He tells the truth of how he is going to prepare a place for them. And not only does he prepare a place for them, but he will come back. He will come back. He will come back so that his disciples can be with him, as it says in verse 3. So don't miss the purpose of this. Christ, in light of his leaving, tells his disciples to not be troubled, to not be afraid or have a spirit of dread. He tells them to not be troubled because he himself will come back. He is preparing a place for them, for us. He is finishing his work towards the cross so that we can ultimately all be with him forever. And that's good news. Be with him without sin, without death, without turmoil. He gives them here an eternal perspective for our comfort and for our temporary life on earth. In kindergarten, I remember my father dropping me off at school and uh, seeing new faces, seeing a new teacher perhaps. And probably he made it known to me at some point that he was going to leave and that I would have to stay there. When that happened, immediately I remember I started to weep and bawl my eyes out. The the turmoil and the sadness of this five-year-old was real in my heart. What do you mean you're leaving? You're my dad who's been with me all this time. What do you mean you're leaving me? Come pick me up and take me home. But hopefully over time, I would come to understand that my dad would come back at the end of the day, and that he would bring me home, and that I could be with him once again. And that would hopefully give me comfort to go on with my day at school without him. Isn't this the picture that we have of Christ, but to an infinitely greater extent? Christ, yes, he was leaving, but he would come back. For us now, Christ is not physically here with us, but he's coming back. Not only will he come back, but he left to secure our place in heaven in our eternal home with God. He is working actually for our good this morning, preparing what is good for us in glory. One day he will come back to bring us to him, as verse 3 says. And what a wonderful truth this is this morning for our troubled and weary hearts. He will come back and take us to himself. So brothers and sisters, is this your hope this morning? Is your hope in Christ? Or are you so fixated on the troubles of this world, the troubles of your heart? Do you doubt God this morning and his goodness? Has your faith in God been flimsy this season because of all the things going on? Do you see Christ who is coming back and who has left us for our own good with his spirit? When this life is hard, when we are troubled, confused, perplexed, when we grow tired of our sin and of this world, when we feel that we cannot go on any longer, or when loneliness or darkness in this life creeps in, hold on to these truths of Christ, to this truth. He will come back. For example, COVID, though it seems long and difficult, it isn't eternal and it it isn't worthy of bringing you into ultimate despair and fear. Your loneliness, your sickness, and your sadness and depression are not eternal. So let your hearts be, not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in Christ. Trust him when he says that he's coming back. Lift up your weary heads. Be joyful from deep within because Christ is coming again. This morning, fight against your troubled heart with the truth of Christ. He will make all things new. No trial is too great or sorrow too deep for which the good news of Christ cannot comfort us in. Your troubled heart is not too great for Christ. 
In the darker and more difficult of seasons, Christ gives us hope. So let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in him. The hope of Christ who secures our home with him brings hope and peace as we live in this world. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Therefore, once again, let not your hearts be troubled. He's preparing something great. Believe in God, believe in Christ, who will come again. The trials of this life will not last forever. And this leads us to our second point, our second reason for why Jesus tells his disciples and us to not have troubled hearts. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in Christ, for Christ is the way, the truth, and the life that leads us to the Father in verses 5 to 11. We no longer live in a culture that tolerates the truth of the Bible, do we? We live in a culture that makes up its own truth. We live in a postmodern culture, a post-truth culture. You hear words such as, speak your own truth, or that's true for you. To impose biblical truth on a society that makes up its own subjective truth is not very popular. However, brothers and sisters, as Christians, we do not make up our own truth. Truth is not subjective. Christ himself, in the following passages, makes claims that people hate. So let us not be surprised that the world may look down on us for the words he has told us. We preach not to itch the ears of those around us, but we must preach to tell the truth in love. And here in our passage, we see a marvelous truth once again, a truth that can save people from hell. The truth for why our hearts do not need to be troubled once again. Our hearts can be assured and joyful and at peace because indeed Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. If he wasn't, we would have no way to God, no access to God. We would be stuck in our sin, stuck in this temporary world and die and have nothing. And we would have no place in heaven if Christ was not the, what he said he was, the way, the truth, and the life. In verse 5, Thomas asks Christ how we can know the way. How can we get to the Father or go wherever Christ is going? And how does Christ answer Does he say, be good in this life, work hard, outweigh your bad deeds with your good? Then maybe you can get to God? No, he doesn't say that. Does he say, just believe in one of the many religions that already exist in this world and you'll be good? No. Rather, he points to himself, to to the way of God. The way to the Father is through Christ, through himself, Christ alone. Do we believe this, brothers and sisters? Christ himself says it, not me. I didn't make it up, but this is the truth of Christ. Jesus says that he is a way. He has opened up a way through faith in him for us to have access to God the Father. To know him, to be reconciled to him. Through his death and resurrection, the shedding of his blood, he opens the way to God. He inaugurates the new covenant. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament pointed toward Christ as the ultimate lamb to be slain. He is the way and he alone is the way. Your reference Bibles may note Hebrews 10, 19-20, which says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. We can draw near because Christ is the way. 
Furthermore, Jesus says he is the truth. There is no darkness or lie in Christ. 1 John 5.20 shows us that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we know him who is truth. Jesus reveals God to us. He is God himself, God in the flesh. He tells us what is true of God. And himself is true, pointing us to God. Jesus says he is the life. Ultimately, Christ himself would die and resurrect. His resurrection secures our future resurrection one day. His life secures our eternal life. If he did not rise from the dead, we would have no hope of life to come. But he did. John eleven twenty five says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Christ secures our eternal destiny in his death and resurrection. We have life in him and in him alone. He is the bread of life. In verse 6 of our passage, Jesus says, No one comes to the Father except through me. Why? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's why. No one else is the way and the truth and the life. No one else is God in the flesh. No one else can be the perfect ultimate sacrifice on the cross. We are saved through faith in Christ and in Christ alone. The way to God is open this morning. The greatest news of the gospel is alive and for all to hear. Furthermore, since Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and since no one comes to the Father but through Christ, he reveals to us God himself. Christ is the exact imprint of God's nature. So brothers and sisters, this is good news for our weary hearts this morning because the way to God is open. The way to God is not closed. It's open in Christ. Every day that we live in this earth, on this side of the cross, heaven is open to us. Eternal life is open for us. And we are headed there because of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we know that God created us and we are accountable to him. Yet we've all sinned against him. And we deserve hell. Yet in God's great love for us, he sent his own son to die on the cross for our sin. And three days later, resurrect from the cross, from death, so that whoever of us, any of us who trusts in him can be saved and be united with him once again, forgiven of all of our sin. What, what better news is there for our troubled hearts every day of every season of our life than to know that we are saved and that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, let not your hearts this morning be troubled. When you see different religions, when you see different speculations of how people are saved, people telling you how to be good or how to act in the media, don't let those things confuse you or trouble you either. It is no secret of how we will be saved. Though Christ isn't physically here, we know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He has given us himself. He will come again, and he has already provided the way to be with him and with the Father one day. So don't be troubled. Place your hope in him, in the gospel, in the way, the truth, and the life. Furthermore, as we go on in verses 8 to 11, we see a further explanation. And it further explains why we can know the Father through Christ. In verse 9, Jesus says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Then verse 10 implies that Jesus means, of course, that he and the Father are one. It's a package deal. When you receive Christ, you receive the Father. When you reject Christ, you reject the Father. In light of this, as verse 10 says, the words that Jesus speaks is the authority of God the Father himself. 
It is the Father who works and dwells in Christ. They are one. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the universe, the radiance of the glory of God. So as Lord, as God, he is the way, the truth, and life. Therefore, as verse 11 points us to, believe in Christ. Believe that he is one with the Father. Look even at his works, at the works he does is from God, because he himself is from God. Once again, let not your hearts be troubled this morning. If you look to Christ, you look to God. We are not left alone on this earth, and neither will Christ abandon us forever. He will come again and take us to the Father, and he himself is the way to God, for he is God. So the way to salvation is open. This is objective truth for our troubled hearts this morning. And this brings us to our last point. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in Christ, for Jesus works for us and allows us to do great works. When Christ left his disciples, he didn't expect them to simply sit around anxiously waiting for him to do nothing. He didn't expect them to twirl their thumbs and just sit there and sit on their couch. He didn't want them to be troubled, and he didn't want them to be sitting ducks. Rather, Jesus says in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Greater works. Once again, this is a precious truth that we can take to heart to ease our troubled and flimsy hearts this morning. In later verses, we indeed see that Christ doesn't leave us alone. He gives us his spirit to be able to fulfill the work that he has given us on this earth for his kingdom. And not only that, but Christians are left to do even greater works than Christ did. This does not mean that we become better than Christ in this world or we do something greater than the cross, perhaps. But we are left here on earth to fulfill the work left to do, whether that means missions, preaching the gospel, suffering for the advance of the kingdom. His goal wasn't to do everything, but to train us up so that we could go into the world and proclaim him and do great works. One source notes that these greater works includes evangelism, teaching, and deeds of mercy and compassion. In short, the entire ministry of the church to the entire world, beginning from Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost alone, more believers were added to Jesus' followers than during his entire earthly ministry up to that point. Great works that he has given his people. There's great work to be done for the cause of Christ. And this is good and joyful labor for us. We are not sitting ducks anxiously twirling our thumbs until he returns doing nothing, but we have a mission. And we need not be troubled in our hearts, for Christ gives us his power to do great things here on earth for his kingdom. On a different perspective of, of great works, Jesus is going back to the Father and, and, uh, and he gives us these great works to do. But there's a framework that we can put ourselves in in regards to and specifically to Jesus' death and triumph. D.A. Carson notes that Jesus is going back to the Father and that the work believers are given is through the framework, like I said, of Jesus' death and triumph, and therefore more immediately and truly reveal his Son. This can be understood as the greater works that Jesus was referring to. In other words, the disciples would know and we now know the full picture of salvation and can proclaim a fuller scope of salvation history in a way that was not possible before Christ died on the cross. 
We no longer see a Christ as a Messiah who will be going to the cross, but as a Messiah who has already gone to the cross and died and resurrected. Therefore, we can now do the greater work that Christ gives us to do on this side of the cross, such as evangelism, missions, post-death, and resurrection. Christ didn't do those works because he didn't die yet back then. But now that he has died and resurrected, we can proclaim the fuller realities of salvation. Consider, for instance, a man named Charles Spurgeon for a second. Charles Spurgeon was a great Christian preacher, the prince of preachers, people call him. He preached over 600 sermons before he was 20, preaching once to over 23,000 people without a mic. He read about six substantial books a week, and at the age of 50, he had founded and conducted at least 66 organizations, including the Stockwell Orphanage. He wrote and produced over 140 books. He also knew great suffering in ministry, and he knew great physical pain as he suffered from gout and rheumatism and Bright's disease, which got worse throughout his life. The point of this example isn't that we all must be Spurgeons because we're not, but the point is that Christ empowers his people to do great works for his kingdom by the power of his spirit in this life. We are not ultimately alone. We have a mission. We have power from on high to, to work hard and accomplish great things for his kingdom and even to go through great trials in this life. Jesus says that we will do the works he does and even greater works will we do. So once again, do not let your hearts be troubled in this life because he has empowered you to do great works. Lastly, as verse 13 of 14 mentions, we have the promise and confidence of Christ working for us as we pray in his name. As we abide in Christ, as we know his word in our lives, as our hearts store up his word in our, in our minds and in our souls, we can pray according to his will. We can pray according to what is most glorifying to him. So these truths of verses 12 to 14 allow them to fuel your confidence in prayer. Pray according to God's will. Pray as you walk closely with God. Pray according to Christ's name. Verses 13 to 14 gives us great confidence that he hears us and that he will act in his own time and wisdom. So do not let your hearts be troubled. We are not alone. We are not abandoned. But we have great power and accessibility in Christ. We can pray to him. And he hears our prayers. In conclusion, once again, the alternative for our troubled hearts this morning and every day is very much as Christ has said in the beginning of our passage. Rather than having a troubled heart, believe in him. Have faith in him. Trust in him this morning. For Christ will come again. For Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And Christ has the authority of the Father, giving us great power to do great things here on earth. Go to work, be with your family, evangelize, do all that you do with an eternal and Godward perspective. It is Christ who gives us eternal hope through his death and resurrection, no matter what comes in this life. And it is Christ who gives us what we need in this life to work and do all that we do with his power. In terms of application, or one more piece of application, we can consider missions for a second, especially as we were anticipating Raymond to come. Indeed, we can find comfort and joy in the Christ who is coming back. Our hearts do not have to live in a state of despair and turmoil like we've been talking about. 
Yet consider for a second, consider the deep and great trouble that there is for unbelievers. Outside of Christ, there is no relief. There is no safety. There is no comfort. There is only an eternal hell that awaits all who reject Christ, who is the only way, the truth, and the life. During this past year, indeed, many may have suffered greatly, yet for unbelievers, is the only hope of this life that things would go back to normal, that COVID would go, would go away? If it is, that's a tragic thing. It's not the ultimate solution. The isolation and pain and suffering that came during COVID probably does not compare in the slightest to the eternal hell that awaits all who do not trust in Christ. So brothers and sisters, if you know the great comfort and forgiveness of Christ this morning, the great relief that is found in Christ alone, won't you share the good news of Christ with your family and with your friends and with those who have no hope this morning? Even as we consider um, Raymond, who is going to come, and a place like Japan. Japan, a popular vacation and honeymoon spot, is a country that seems quite void of Christians. Unreached with less than 2% evangelical Christian, with a total population around 125,900,000. And out of that population, there are over 123 million people who are in the unreached. Almost the whole population is unreached. So may God have mercy on this world. And won't you be agents of mercy with the good news of Christ that can ease the most troubled of hearts this morning? And lastly, for application, brothers and sisters, allow me to remind you that this is not your home. The pain that we feel, the discomfort, the the suffering, the sadness, the darkness that we feel, the pain of this life is not our home. It is not ultimate for those who trust in Christ. The loneliness and despair you may have to fight against every day is not ultimate. Let me remind you that this world as it is and all its temporal treasures and all its goodness is also not our home. Your cars, your family, in this life, your, your homes is not your ultimate hope. This beautiful sanctuary, for example, is not our ultimate home. Our, our spouse is not our home. Our kids are not our home. As James 5 said a couple of weeks ago, our life is like a mist. Here one day, gone the next. Jesus will come again and take us, take us home. He will take us to himself. He will bring forth a new heaven and a new earth. Our home, our ultimate hope, our ultimate joy and satisfaction is God. And just a point of application for those of you in this room who feel comfortable and not troubled at all, well, keep looking to Christ. One day trouble may come and difficulty will come. Who will you turn to? Will you turn to yourself? Will you turn to the things of this world? that does not last, or will you turn to Christ? This world is not our home. We are sojourners and exiles here, and let's not forget that. And lastly, as our passage says, do not let your hearts be troubled, for we have Christ. In all circumstances of life, let not your hearts be troubled. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great comfort and peace that we can find in light of your word. 
we acknowledge that for some of us, we are very troubled and we are anxious people. We may be angry people with all the things going on in this world, with all the division, with all the disunity. God, there's so many things that can make us troubled and make us lose our minds and our hearts to the things of this world. But as we just talked about, this world is not our home. And that we have an ultimate peace, an ultimate hope in Christ. Jesus Christ will come back again and he will take us to himself. He will make all things new. The new heavens and new earth will one day be here and all things will be restored. So God, help us this morning to place our troubled hearts in the hope of eternity. Cause our hearts not to be so troubled this morning. Cause the anxiety and the grief and the distress about whatever it is this morning to go away. And would our confidence be strong in you today and tomorrow and every day of our lives, no matter what circumstances may come our way. We thank you that you are indeed a sovereign God who works for our good and and empowers us in this life to do great works for your kingdom. So help us to do just that. Help us not to waste away our life. Help us not to waste the, the time that we have left here on this earth. Help us to work for your kingdom and to do it with great joy and with no great trouble in our hearts. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.